Our text today is so, so good, it's hard to believe. Tensions are running high as the entire city of Jerusalem, first century AD, was in an uproar over a controversy regarding the Apostle Paul and his outreach to the non-Jewish populations in the city and the surrounding uh, cities and villages and communities. Some, some things, listen, you're going to read this, you're going to say, uh, with all the news going on in the war in the Middle East, some things never seem to change. It's all building the tension. Look with me. Chapter 22, last verse, verse 30. I'll read that verse in the entirety of chapter 23. Enjoy the story. Verse 30. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he, the Apostle Paul, was being accused by the Jews, he, the Roman tribune, unbounded him, Paul, and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Chapter 23, verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to, the, to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. That's some tough talk in first century. <laughs> Are you sitting to, to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Verse 4, those who stood by him stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Verse 6, now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then, with a great, then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him back into the barracks. Verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Verse 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you. 
As though you were going to determine his case more exactly and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Verse 16. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring you this young man, this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they are going to inquire something more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man charging him, tell no one that you've informed me of these things. Verse 23. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency the Governor of Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen, verse 28, and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that, they, that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against them, him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the third day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. And when they'd come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he had learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. The very words of God. Pray with me for understanding. Father, these words at this moment, all of it planned by you then, planned by you now. We too have different stories on how we arrived here and what lies ahead for each of us individually. And you want to meet us here and speak to us. So have your way, show us your son. Teach us Your ways. Train us to trust You with our very lives that we might all believe and live. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Oh, and let me pray just for a moment. I heard Joe and Kaylin are on the way to the hospital. If you know their members expecting their first father, Father, pray you be with Joe and Kaylin right now. Keep the baby safe. Help Kaylin as she delivers. Thank you for doctors in a hospital. Lord, Lord, would you be with them as we, we all eagerly anticipate meeting this new child. Uh, for their joy, our joy, your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How exciting. Grandpa, is he here? Did they, did they leave? You, you might have wanted, no, you're still here. Oh, Grandpa's here. What are they going to call you? What are they going to call you? We don't know yet. Millennials. No, I'm joking. Everybody making up new names for their grandparents. I'm going to call you Pop-Pop. <laughs> this story, this account has all the elements of a modern day, I know you would agree, a Hollywood action-packed thriller movie. There's an angry mob, right? It's an urban situation. A hero is being unjustly treated, a conspiracy to commit murder, a judge who's having to weigh, you know, ethics with polity, right, and saving his own neck. There's even an anonymous man who appears at just the right moment and fits, doesn't seem to fit in the story, but solves everything. It's Paul's nephew. Paul's nephew. I didn't even know Paul had a sister, did you? And she had a son. And we don't have his name, and we don't know nothing about him. Somehow he had access. Then there's this enormous, and we can pass by it, this tribune is a military leader, and he has at his disposal an enormous military system and might. So we get this enormous show of military strength. And there's a getaway with them in the middle of the night. The story, this is the story, really, this is the story of the first 30 years of the early church. All drama, all the time, always trouble. How exciting. And remember, it's exciting for them, I don't know. It's exciting for us, I don't know about them. But remember, this is all recorded. This interesting, all recorded. Luke wrote this all down so that we would be confident of what it is we've been taught and what we believe. If, if you were a first or second century, maybe even a third gen Christian, literally, literally third gen Christian, but when you received this, you might have been wondering, who was the Apostle Paul? I actually have a, a friend who's Jewish, and uh, once she brought it up to me. She said, Do you know, who is this Paul? And it, before I could say, well, Paul, she immediately told me who Paul was, and it wasn't the Paul we're reading about here. She, she had heard something different about him. And, and they had heard all kinds of stories about Paul. Who, who was this Paul, really? And what was motivating him? How did he conduct himself in public, and more importantly, in private? You, you, if you were a, a third-gen Christian, you would have definitely heard about these events that happened in Jerusalem. About the controversy and the, the trials and the conspiracy. And you might have wondered how it is that Paul escaped this assassination attempt upon his very own life in Jerusalem, which is, which is located, matter of fact, the same place as modern day Jerusalem, if you're wondering. Same, same place, I'm joking. You've heard the rumors, Luke might be saying. This is the record, the official transcript. And it's exciting. And it's full of intrigue. Did you catch? Did you catch? Have you been tracking in, 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 in our study through Acts how Paul performed masterfully as he represented himself? And you might say the court. He, 
He did a great job representing himself. Remember, he had arrived in Jerusalem. If you just roll back the tape a little bit, he arrived in Jerusalem with a financial gift. (laughs) Nobody's talking about that financial gift anymore. He arrived with a financial gift that was collected from Gentile Christians throughout the region who'd heard of a great famine that was occurring in the Jerusalem church, in in, in Jerusalem, and, and their brothers and sisters their Jewish brothers and sisters, the Gentile brothers and sisters at the time, from all time, had been fighting. Now they come together, they make a, an offering, they collect it all. Paul arrives in town thinking maybe this will mend some wounds and, he, and, wounds, and he arrives. James and the elders celebrate all that's going, out, going on outside of Jerusalem. There are thousands of new Christians in Jerusalem, but they're Jewish, and so they hatch a plan because they were suspicious. The crowds were suspicious that Paul, do you remember this? Paul, they thought, was against Jewish customs and traditions and culture and law. So Paul, they come up with this plan. Paul participated in, sponsored a purification ritual and visited the temple. He, he played a par- his part wholly in his heart. But the plan backfired, a riot broke out, right? And so he's arrested, and this is where we're picking it up. He's taken into Roman custody in order to protect him. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know in the story, Paul is on trial for his life. For the Jews claimed, here's what was happening. The Jewish believers claimed that he had defiled the temple. That's what happened. Do you remember that? He defiled the temple. But what did Paul say to his defense? Look, look back at verse 6 again. What, did, what does Paul say? Verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that... Now here's his defense. He's a pretty smart guy. Perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees. He's reading the room. Okay, there's two religious parties present. He's going to pit them against each other. Paul cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee. I'm one party, right? I'm one party. A son of Pharisees. And here, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. Not the defiling of the temple. Not the defiling of the temple. The defiling of the temple was just a presenting symptom of a much deeper issue. And Paul knows that on this point, the crowd does not agree. (laughs) the crowd does not agree it's genius but but you know for for all the drama all the interesting details the intrigue and the conspiracy the most astounding part of this story this episode this episode in the book of acts is so easily overlooked missed underappreciated and it's right there in verse 11 look again at verse 11 here's the most exciting part of the story the following night in between the Lord stood by him Paul and said take courage for as you testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem that's what he's doing so you must testify also in Rome. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, take courage. In a, listen, reads like a movie script. In a dark, middle of the night, stone cold prison cell. This man, Paul, who's going to spend most of all of his years in prison. Talk about living your best life now, right? The Apostle Paul in a stone-cold, dark prison 
cell with more than 40 men outside thirsting for his blood. As a prisoner, you could imagine he sat awake, he was weakened and tired, no doubt weary. Already he has been beaten many times, flogged and bearing scars and on more than one occasion had recently been left for dead. This man named Paul, who, ha- who we'd all heard of, who had every reason to be afraid. You think you got a reason to be afraid? This man had every reason to be afraid. And in the middle of the story, in the middle of the night, is visited by the Lord Himself. The one who pulls all the strings calls all the shots, who's behind every twist and turn, commands every detail, nothing is lost on him, he holds the whole world in his hands, and he knows the beginning from the end, he knows the beginning from the end, he knows how this story began, he knows how this story will end because he wrote it. And we could, I could, make the mistake of focusing our attention on Paul. And how Paul navigated one of the most dangerous moments in his life. Sit down, kids. Let me tell you the story of the darkest night in my life. <laughs> how we could, we could focus on how, how Paul got into this place because he's already done all he could do to be all things to all men that he might save some. That, that, that there is, that's in the story here. We, we, could, <laughs> we could observe. And oh, we could observe. And we have observed how predictable it is. No, duh. How predictable it is that the world is going to war against the church, God's people, until he returns and how we need to defend ourselves here. It's right there in there. Defend ourselves appropriately in times of persecution. Even pulling our citizenship card if necessary. Standing on our rights. Arguing for justice. It's all in there as well. Now, we could even just enjoy the story for the story's sake. All the action. I don't know about you, but when I'm watching an action movie and I'm thinking, what's the lesson here? No, I'm like, whoa, he got blown up. Whoa, look at that explosion. Where's all this going? What does all this mean? We could just enjoy the details and miss where it's all headed. Which, spoiler alert, it doesn't end well for Paul. Doesn't end well for Paul, not on paper, not according to the courts. That's there in the text as well. Don't get to the end and say, it's all going to be better tomorrow, Paul. It's not. Yet all, all that's in the text, all of it's in the text, there's something better for us. Something better for us about what God offers us just as he offered Paul as the Lord continues to break into our so-called, as you might say, prison cells. And oh, things like fear can be a prison. And what he says to us in our moments in, of crisis as well, who visits you in your darkest nights, in our deepest depressions, when we're entertaining our worst fears and have reached our tipping point and are prone to question everything at that moment, prone to question everything at that moment as nothing has gone right, it feels like in that moment, and give up by giving in whatever your in is. And that, isn't that a great definition of sin? Just giving in to something else. Giving yourself to something else. The Lord speaks again and again and again. He testifies to us. Can you hear him? Take courage. 
to all of us, not just Paul. Take courage. What, what a wonderful insight into the inner workings of the early church and of the ministry and life of the Apostle Paul. How did he do this? How, how, how did he conduct himself? How did he hold himself together? How did he get out of bed in the morning? Here, what a wonderful insight. We only know this because Paul must have shared it with others. He told others, Jesus stood beside me that night and we're going to quickly connect the dots with them, the original recipients of this letter, this book, and us, still he stands beside us today and says, take courage. Listen, this is the secret sauce. <laughs> this, is the, this is the secret sauce. This is the magical ingredient, you might say. The truth that untangles the conspiracy theories that are running, running, and running in my heart every moment of every day. What makes the difference in the life of a Christian who can be overtaken by anxieties and concerns and worst case scenarios and fear? Just plain old fear. A message for every Christian who says, and you may say it in one way or another, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. You might say, I'm not afraid. Watch your life closely. Good, we're watching your life. (laughs) We all, we all can go there. Jesus speaks, take courage. Take courage, Eric. That's what, that's what he speaks to me. Take courage, Mike. Take courage. Fill in your name. I got fill in names. John, Joe. Oh, Wendy. Oh, take courage. Chris. Oh, you should have seen, oh, brother, to, to sit in a hospital room with you down the street at UCI facing, in the, facing a terrible emergency. You with an IV in your arm and a mask over your face. You repeated without any prompting, I'm not afraid. It's a holy moment. How is that possible? How how can it be that you would not be afraid? Whatever you're afraid of, whatever you're worried about, which is so natural and understandable, Jesus says, take courage, brothers. Take courage, sisters. And in particular, we notice two things here that, that, that you might say, back it up. Back it up. Take courage, church. Two points. The Lord is with you, and the Lord will win. The Lord is with you, and the Lord will win. Listen very briefly, because we have so much more to do this morning. First, the Lord is with you. Listen, this is the, Paul is experiencing, Paul's experiencing here, what theologians call a Christophany. Do you know what a Christophany is? It's an appearance of Jesus, visible, audible, unmistakable. That's what Paul reports verse, uh, uh, reports to Luke, verse 11. The following night, right? The Lord stood by him. He didn't mean theoretically or just figuratively. He said, the Lord, the following night, after all that had happened in the middle of the night in my prison cell, the Lord stood by me. Now, stop that will change someone's life. <laughs> would it not? That would change someone. The risen Lord standing beside you. No wonder Paul wasn't given over to fear. No wonder he could get up out of bed and get up out of that prison cell and press on, even in the face of adversity and suffering. He took risks. We're going to read 
every day. It's exciting. He took risks every day, large and small, I'm assuming, but most of the ones recorded here, very big. He made efforts and expended himself and his resources on things that weren't necessary for his own good. He was going to get any congratulations or respect or even a promise for a long life. He was building a case against himself to be executed. And we've been reading about that for months. The trajectory won't change. Paul is going to live every day as if every day matters until we reach the end of record, the recorded history in Acts 28 and the dramatic cliffhanger. It wasn't as if Paul wasn't risk tolerant. If you think, well, well, Paul's just a different kind of guy. He's more of a pioneer. He's a risk taker. He wasn't a happy-go-lucky guy. Listen, I imagine him a lot like John Piper. Do you know pa- Pastor John Piper's still alive today from Minneapolis? Uh, pa- he's, he's the most serious guy you'll ever meet. I had a friend who traveled with him, and he said he was so boring. He would ju- my friend would just leave the hotel room at night because John Piper's no fun to share a hotel room with. I don't think that was Paul. I don't think that was Paul. No. Paul refused to be taken captive by his fears, his cares, his anxieties. Why? Because, first of all, everywhere he went, every moment of every day, regardless of how bad his day was and what kind of mess he was getting himself into or how depressing his future must have felt, even when 40 guys, I have trouble when one guy says something on social media that isn't really nice to me and maybe insinuates he wasn't even talking about me, but I feel like he's, I'm implied in the post or whatever it is, but he had 40 guys thirsting for his blood conspiring not to eat or drink until they had killed him. And how long can you last? Not very long. But yet Paul, Paul just replayed the tape. How kind of the Lord to give him this. Paul replayed the tape over and over again in his mind and in his heart. The Lord is standing beside me. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with me. And if the Lord is with him, Paul concludes writes it right there in Romans 8, who can be against me? That's him talking about his feelings and experience of fear. If God is for us, who can be against us? See, I, I, lo- I, lo- I love this command in verse 11, and that's what it is. It's a command. Take courage. It's not an option. It's not one you could pick off on a multiple choice thing. It's not a personality trait. It's not something that one day you might be called called upon in the line of duty to take some courage. No, no, I love this man. It's not if you feel courageous, go ahead and take a risk. No, nobody feels courageous naturally all the time when faced with adversity. If anything, you take what? Fear. You take fear. You love fear. It embraces you. Let fear with all of its adrenaline course through my veins, right? Let the lies of your enemies right, <laughs> counsel you. Let fear with all of its what-ifs and oh-nos and the fog of war in that moment when you're caught off guard and you're suffering some little trial that feels really, really big. And the only thing you have to fear is everything. <laughs> it's the craziest quote ever. Fear, fear. No, I'm fear. I'm afraid of everybody and everything. It's reasonable. 
It's natural. If you experience fear on a regular basis and you think, maybe something's wrong with me. Now, now something could be wrong with you. And there is something wrong with you. <laughs> but something could be wrong with you. But, but fear, fear is as natural as being human. We're fearful by nature. And Jesus commands us to be courageous. Paul, Paul says this all over the place. Golly, we could go all over, all over his writings, all through the New Testament. Do not be anxious about anything. Yeah, well, except for that one thing. No, anything. Well, you, you don't know what it's like to have young children, Paul. And we don't know that, but I'm assuming not. You don't know what it's like to lose your job, to get laid off, to not have enough money in the bank for retirement. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Give it to him. Jesus says the same thing. You don't need to turn there, but just let me read. Here's, here's Jesus speaking about anxiety. You struggle with anxiety. You struggle with fear. You struggle with... Oh, it's just, it just in you, it just grips you. It, it's like a prison. Sometimes, sometimes I think we listen to whatever's written on the side of a Starbucks co- coffee cup or whatever it is, way too much and him way too little. Here's your Savior speaking to you. Here's counsel. You're looking for a therapist? I got one for you. You write down Matthew 6. You can look it up later. But listen, he says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, the car you drive, the job you work, getting married, not getting married, whatever it is. He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yes. He says, look at the birds of the air. Here's, Here's some therapy for you. You're struggling with anxiety. Look at the birds of the air. Go, this, look at the birds of the air. I'm, saying, I'm repeating it because I'm telling you that there's an application of your sermon. You're wondering what to do with this? Go outside afterwards, not during the baptism. Pay attention. And then afterwards, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heaven, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? He says, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the poppies, okay? How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not a rain like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he, not, will he not much more clothe you? You worried about having enough to make ends meet? There's your answer. What does he say? Oh, you of little faith. Take courage. How do you take courage? How do you seize hold of an experience? The opposite of anxiety. Oh, you little of little faith. <laughs> Therefore, do not be anxious. 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And here it is. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. There's a command. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. (laughs) Sufficient for today is its own trouble. The answer, Paul applies it for us. But we hear it right from him just a little bit later. For I will never leave you nor forsake you. How does Paul take courage in his heart? He says no to all of those anxious thoughts and lies and doubts and unbelief. Instead says, he is my good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He's watching over me. Listen, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the judgment that there is something greater than your fear. Fear is the natural response. Courage must be seized. How is it seized? By being aware that he's with me. He's with you. Second, briefly, he will win. Look back at verse 11 again. It says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, the past like as in yesterday, So you must testify also in Rome. Listen, he not only knows where Paul is, he not only knows where you are, where you are in the story, he has you just where he wants you to be. And that is so hard to believe when you get angry because you don't like where you are. But as Jesus himself, the great and good therapist, says, you can't hurry along the process. You can't avoid what is inevitable. You're facing a broken world. He never promised that we wouldn't suffer. He promised that He would keep us to the end. He knows the beginning and the end from the beginning because He's already written the story. And that brings us such great comfort. For Paul, he goes, okay, I'm placing myself back in the story. This isn't a dead end. I didn't make a mistake. This isn't all out of God's hands. But no, I'm sitting in his prison cell and I have another destination. I'm not done yet. Famous old quote, (laughs) old saying, you are immortal until your work is done. (laughs) That's what Paul was looking at. I'm immortal. You are immortal until his work is done. Can't add, can subtract, can't do without that which you need, won't have anything you don't need. The Lord will stand by you and give you strength, rescue from you from every evil, save you for his kingdom. And how do we know that? Do you have to have your own personal Christophany as well? No, because we already had. And it was the first appearance of our Savior. If he's peeled off the scales of your eyes and exchanged your heart of stone for a heart of flesh, Jesus already appeared once, conquered your every fear, and especially the worst fear of all your other fears, the fear of God himself, the first advent of the Christ. 
sin and death conquered, chains fall off, and you march with him in victory. Appeared once, he appeared twice, and in between, united to him by faith, we don't freak out, <laughs> but we take courage. We take hold of the truth that he has us and will never leave us, and in the end, he will win everything for us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your words, the, the, the record of another story where we see your grace at work in the early church in particular, and Paul, thank you for, thank you for preserving this, that, that even today, though our circumstances feel so different than these circumstances, the challenge and temptations in our heart are the same. Lord, I pray for the one, the one here today who is gripped with anxiety, heart is twisted and turning around because they're not sure about their future. Lord, I pray you would, you would grant them faith to trust you, to entrust themselves to you that they might be able to take courage for your glory, demonstrating your power at work in, at work in naturally very, very fearful people. I'll do this, we pray, even now. Release the bonds, the chains of fear and anxiety, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.